Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, it's time once more for the Planthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives and careers of some very cool plant people to figure out what they do and why they do what they do and what keeps them coming back for more. My name is Vikram Baliga, and I'm your host and your humble guide in this journey through the plant sciences and the natural sciences and maybe some other sciences tossed in. And as always, my friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. I have so many great interviews coming up. I'm just, I can't, I can't tell you how excited I am. But for today, I wanted to do an episode about something that has come up recently in my outreach efforts, we can call it that, on social media and other places where I do the outreaching. And uh, I wanted to talk about something that in in some ways is like the state of the social media address, at least in my world. And it's something that I think is pretty interesting and I hope you find is, is interesting as well. And it has to do originally and first with black apples, black apples. So we're going to talk about where black apples come from. Are they real? What do they taste like? How do you grow them? Those kinds of things. We're also going to talk about some subsidiary things, which were brought to light or maybe uh, that I realized a little bit more as I was making a TikTok and some other media about black apples. Um, And those two things that I want to talk about are what I'm calling weaponized nonsense, what I've started referring to lovingly or otherwise as weaponized nonsense, uh, and also rage farming. So we're going to talk about some stuff that goes on on social media, how it relates to plants, and how it relates to you. But first, we're going to talk about how cool and how interesting and fascinating black apples are. So you and I, my friend, are going to listen to some music real quick, and then we're going to come back and talk about Arkansas black and black diamond apples. Okay. Did you enjoy the music? I still do enjoy the music. So... This all came about, and the reason I thought about even doing this to begin with is I posted a video recently on my TikTok and other outlets about black apples. And the reason I did this is you know that I like to yell about five-minute crafts, right? And some of these other accounts out there that come up with like just like purposefully incredibly weird and nonsensical things. Again, I, I, as I'm going to talk about later, I've started referring to this as weaponized nonsense. And I saw one pop up about an apple that had been painted black. And this account that posted it does weird stuff like take a whole bunch of tomatoes and put them, put them on like chopsticks and stick them out in a field. And maybe they're sun drying them. Maybe they're just like farming clicks on the internet. I kind of think it's the second one. If you know why, Some people may take what looked like thousands of tomatoes and stick them on chopsticks and stick them out in a field and then randomly go grab one and peel it open. And I I don't know. It was very weird. Very weird. But the same account posted a video of of this guy grabbing an apple with his hand. It has like a solid, shiny black skin outside, uh, uniformly black, very reflective, all of that, and cutting it open and finding white flesh inside. And so I made a video talking about how that apple was painted black. And a lot of people said, no, 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 black apples are real. And yes, they are. And we're going to talk about them in just a second. But they're not, they don't look like that, right? They still look like real apples that have variation in the skin color and in, uh, they have uh, spots on them and different things like that, that make them look like real apples and not uniformly painted black. Now this video that I'm referencing, and I'll put a link to it, or I'll put a link to my video in the show notes 
could have been video manipulated, photo manipulated. It looked like there was maybe a filter applied because people's hands were dark in it. It, it was it was really strange. And I'll, I'll, I'll post a link to it. But I want to talk about black apples. And then we'll get back to the nonsense side of this later in the episode. Because it is true that black apples are very real. And there are two main ones sort of in the industry on the planet. Now, this is not to say that there are not other apples out there that look pretty dark and pretty black. Um, But these are the two that you'll find most commonly depending on where you are. So the first one is called a black diamond apple, black diamond apple. These are apples that are very shiny black on the outside, and they look very much like red delicious apples because they're in the same grouping of apples as the red delicious. In fact, these are uh, similar in a lot of ways to what's called the Chinese red delicious. So this apple, again, has a dense, thick skin that's very, very dark purple. Now, we don't find true black pigmentation in most plants. Uh, most of the time, if you see a plant or something out there that looks black, it's probably really a really uh, very, very deep purple. And and when you look at dyes and violet flowers and flowers that are black on paper and visually, um, when you take those petals and crush them up, they're they're usually purple. And this this apple is no different. So this one's really interesting because it's only grown in very, very few places around the planet, okay? Um, the main place the black diamond apple is cultivated is in Tibet. Most of these apples are grown at a, a very high elevation, as high as 3,500 meters in some cases, which if you're trying to do the math in your head is about 10,000 feet above sea level. They're grown in the mountains of Tibet. And in these places, the temperature fluctuates wildly. Uh, because of the elevation and because of the lack of humidity in the air there, the apple's skin is subjected to a lot of UV radiation throughout the day. Uh, dry climates tend to be very intense in terms of UV radiation. Um, water in the atmosphere, humidity in the atmosphere sort of buffers against that. So at high altitudes, especially in places like this, the air tends to be incredibly dry and it lets through a lot of UV. So they're bombarded by UV rays all day. And we all are if you're out in the sun, but these are especially intense. And then at night, you get these wild fluctuations in temperature where it'll drop into the high 30s, where it may have been 80 degrees during the day. It'll drop into the high 30s Fahrenheit. And this combination of stark, like bright UV light and these temperature fluctuations tends to darken the color of the apple skin. So you get these thick skinned apples that have dark purple, almost black skin. Uh, it's said that the flesh of these is is very sweet, even though it's not in the same family as like a gala or a um, golden delicious or some of the others. It is very, very sweet like some of the others. It doesn't taste like a red delicious, which are red and not the other thing, but it is in the same grouping of apples as the red delicious. So why don't we see these everywhere? Because they're really cool, right? They're they're unique, they're flavorful, they're really interesting. And a lot of times people like very flavorful, interesting fruits, which is stands to reason, of course. Well, it's because they're mostly grown in Tibet, in the mountains. Again, they have to be grown at very high elevation to keep that black skin. Um, they have to have very tight temperature ranges in the time when they're fruiting. And they're really difficult to cultivate. So if you were to go and try to buy a single black apple in Tibet, it would probably cost you anywhere between seven and 15 US dollars, which 
is kind of a lot for one apple, right? Here in the US, uh, typically we can buy several apples for $7 or pounds of apples for $7. But because of the difficulty of cultivation and marketing and uh, packaging and transporting because of the high elevations at which it grows, they're not grown very widely. They're a very niche product that a lot of farmers don't really like messing with very much. Uh, There is no real range in the U.S. where these can grow reliably. And I think people have tried it. There may be some in parts of Washington that are grown in small areas, but as a commercially available apple, you're not going to find a black diamond in the U.S. You're just not. You got to go to Tibet. That's costs more than $7 for most people. So spend all the money to fly there. And then once you're there, you got to spend seven bucks on your apple. That's maybe a rate limiting step for most people. What you can get in the U.S., however, and one that's grown fairly regularly and fairly widely across the U.S., is the Arkansas Black Apple, the Arkansas Black. Um, This is a really interesting apple as well. So this one is uh, more round. It doesn't look like a um, red delicious like the Black Diamond does. This looks more like a uh, Asian apple or an apple pear, a Chinese apple, or um, maybe what you might recognize in the store as like a gala or something like that. It's very round in shape. And if you look at it on the tree, it is not really black, but it's, it's a deep purple, but not as deep purple as the black diamond. It looks more like a plum. It's very much plum colored. It's a large apple and people get very excited about it because it's super cool. And they're grown fairly widely in uh, Arkansas and in other places in the U S. So people get excited. They go and they try to pull it off the tree and take a big, huge bite out of it. And it's terrible. The skin is thick, the flesh is hard, and the apple is very sour. And so why do we grow these? Well, because they're delicious after you store them for a while. Some fruits, like this apple, and a lot of pears actually, don't ripen fully on the tree. You don't get that accumulation of sugar that comes through respiration and comes through the metabolic activity inside of the fruit. You don't get that accumulation of sugar on the plant. And just like you can ripen a lot of things off the tree, Things like the Arkansas black, and again, some pears have to be ripened off the tree. So you harvest your black diamond apples, you put them in cool storage for two or three months through the winter, and by the spring, they have these wonderful vanilla vanilla and honey flavors. Some people say they have a little spice to them like cinnamon, and they're delicious. They're really sweet because over time, The metabolism keeps happening in that apple. It breaks down the fibers in there, the cells that make it really hard and really dense and turns it into something great. And also a lot of the Arkansas black apples you might see at a roadside stand in parts of the country have probably been harvested for several months. Apples in general tend to last a long time and we warehouse them. We ship them all over the world. We'll pick them a little bit green, and then chemically ripen them with uh, ethylene gas, uh, which is a natural plant hormone. I know I say chemically ripen because it is a chemical, but that shouldn't be a scary term um, when they're ready to go to market. So these apples last a long time. They hold up well to storage and distribution. And when they're ready to go after they have been cold stored for a while, they're apparently some of the most delicious apples you can eat. I've never gotten to have one. I would really like to. And uh, I don't spend a lot of time in Arkansas, but if you're in Arkansas listening to this and you want to go track down a 
Arkansas Black Apple for me or a few of them, I will pay for shipping. And you can ship them to me because they'll hold up. It's pretty cool. So uh, I wanted to give you an overview of what these apples are really like and the fascinating story about their cultivation and how they're grown, where they're grown, and uh, the history of them. Because I don't think we need to make that better. And I watch some of these videos on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and, and other places where they're doing all these outlandish things um, with fruits and vegetables. And they're like uh, five minute crafting them and plugging holes in uh, buckets with cucumbers, which is unfortunately suggestive. And a lot of five minute crafts content is purposefully that way, by the way. Um, but wh- why paint that apple black? Why go through the trouble of either waxing it or photo filtering it? And yes, I know there's some shock value to this apple's dark pitch black on the outside and white in the middle. But the apple itself, the real story is just as cool or not cooler than an apple that was painted black and cut in half. I just, I know that in social media, a lot of times we have to have a gimmick, right? We're trying to grab attention. We're trying to get people to watch and share and retain it. And, and, uh, uh, are rage farming, which I'm going to talk about after the break, but the real story is so cool. And the real fruit itself is so cool. I don't think we have to try to make it better. So I wanted to tell you about it. So if you see that video or other videos of apples that, look maybe a little too black and a little too perfect to be real. They probably are. But the ones that are out there that are actually bred and developed and grown to be this way are fascinating and amazing in and of themselves. From the Bewilder Beasts podcast, which is a brand new show on the Podfix Network. And then we're going to come back and talk about how not to be weird on social media. We're going to take a quick break. I want to do normal mid-roll stuff and play you a trailer well, hey there. Welcome to the mid-roll. How you doing? I hope you're well. I know it's been a while. Uh, I, I had meant to post twice in February, and somehow February is over. I don't know how that happened. Um, if you're listening to this sometime in the future, I have posted on schedule regularly, and I've done a very good job of that. But this month got away from me. Work's been busy, all of that, but I'm glad you're with me today. So thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being with me today. Also, thank you to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show. Thank you to you, the listener, for being a part of it. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com slash planthropology and financially support the show for the price of a cup of coffee. You can head to planthropologypod.com and find old episodes and more information. And if you click on the merch link, you can buy some stickers and t-shirts and other cool stuff. Other ways you can support the show are to follow us on social media. Go all the places, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, not TikTok. Well, I am on TikTok, but I'm the plant prof on TikTok. I'm Planthropology or some closely related facsimile of that everywhere else. Look for the green background and the bristlecone pine, and that'll be me. You can send me episode ideas or kind words, or if you're really mean, you can send me mean, angry words at planthropologypod at gmail.com. I'd love to see your feedback and hear your feedback for the show. If you've got ideas for guests, if you've got ideas for future topics or anything in between, shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you and connect with you. Also, if you would take just a couple of minutes and either head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podchaser.com and rate and review the show, it means the world to me. Um, there, People will argue in the podcast world whether it actually gives us more 
uh, I don't know, clout or exposure in podcast land. I don't care. I just like to, to hear what you have to say. I wear a size five star review if you're looking to get me a gift. And uh, I also get the warm fuzzies when you say nice words about the show. So if you don't mind taking a couple seconds, uh, rating on Spotify, reviewing on um, Apple or Podchaser, it would mean the world to me. Uh, lots of fun stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Um, next week or actually later this week, if you're recording to this when you, when it drops, uh, you'll hear an episode about spring garden tips because it's that time. And uh, then some great interviews coming up in March and April. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. You mean the world to me. And uh, let's listen to my friend Melissa talk about her podcast, Bewilderbeasts. Hello, and welcome to Bewilderbeasts. I'm Melissa McHugh-McGrath, and you should be listening to the Bewilderbeast podcast. I mean, after the show, of course. Check this. Did you know that there was a pigeon, a pigeon, y'all, a pigeon, who saved 194 men in World War I by flying 25 miles to get help after she was shot in the leg and through the eye? It's not all serious stuff. We talk about why you should strip for polar bears to survive a polar bear attack and how researchers figured out that penguin poop accidentally got them high. Science is lit, y'all. And you'll learn about the time an aquaphobic Labrador retriever helped marine biologists save orca whales by finding whale poop for science. Ew. You will never know what you learn next, but you will learn something and you'll be entertained too by the stories of real animals who intersect at humanity. Find Bewilderbees over at the Podfits Network or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Okay, we're back. Let's talk really quickly about a couple of other things. I think let's do some business, you and I, because I know that most of us are using social media in one way or the other. And we have to be careful in our consumption and use of it because we all know, I think, that it can be very bad for our mental well-being. But there's something that I see popping up more and more, and I think it's largely due to the way that algorithms are built and the way that material gets distributed and talking about different ways that we can get famous on social media. And one of them is to be a rage farm, a rage farm. Now, there are a lot of ways that this happens, but if you see an account that all they do is like, I don't know, bash on other people or talk about how awful people are or invent controversy a lot of times in order to get clicks, that's what I would call a rage farm. And it is very effective media. It's good TV, right? When these things pop up on our, our feed, whether we're on Twitter, Twitter's real bad about this, y'all. Like the the way the Twitter algorithm works is aggressive uh, for things to get lots of comments and lots of shares. And a lot of times we comment and share on the things we don't like. Um, but we see it on TikTok. We see it on Instagram. Not as much on Instagram. We definitely see it on the face space um, where things are just, just I don't know, purposefully insightful. Uh, no, no, no. Insightful is not the word I wanted. Insightful actually means the other thing where they have great insight. They purposefully incite, that's the word I wanted, um, some kind of rage or they like I said, invent controversy or find ways to be mad about stuff that probably they don't really need to be mad about, or maybe they're not actually really even mad about at all, but it causes a reaction in people and they get the reaction they want. 
where people comment and leave angry faces and all of this stuff, which the social media algorithms absolutely love. They eat that up because it keeps people on the platform longer. They can show them more ads. They can data mine more from us. By the way, we are the products on social media, right? Like the reason it's all free, well, mostly free, except for one notable platform these days, uh, is they're mining our data. They're learning our habits. They're figuring out why we do the things we do. And then they can sell that information and make lots of money. And then we can be advertised to that's, they are data mines disguised as social media. And I still use them because it's useful for what I do. Right. So I'm still on it. I like to tell dad jokes and yell about five minute crafts and stuff. But if you find some of these accounts, maybe really critically evaluate the information, right? Why is this person upset? And there are times where people spend their time, whether whatever account they're on, whatever their niche is, calling out things like inequity or uh, injustice for certain different groups and marginalized groups. And while that kind of toes the line for me still in some cases, I think that there's a purpose to that. And I think that getting people to critically think about what they're discussing is useful. But if it's just like yelling about nothing for nothing, I, I think we need to be cautious. And, and I know there's at least one of you out there thinking, but your five minute crafts videos. Yes, I know. I know. Those are supposed to be funny. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's, well, I say that. I was going to say I don't think that there's a lot of people out there taking five-minute crafts real seriously, but I do read the comment section, and these folks exist. They're among us. So I use it as an educational tool where I can pretend to be grumpier than I probably really am, even though some of these really do damage my calm quite a bit. Uh, and I can joke and yell about five minute crafts and then use those as an opportunity to work my way into teachable moments. But uh, rage farming is a real thing. And I think that we need to really critically evaluate as we see content or hear content on a podcast or um, see members of our large national governing bodies yelling during congressional sessions and the state of the union address. Why are they doing that? Do they really believe those things? Are they really that way? Or is it an act to get clicks? Is it purposefully inciting a certain type of feeling in order to get garner support and get more attention? I kind of think it's the latter. I think you can probably decide what you think about that as well and for yourself. Which kind of leads me to uh, Five Minute Crafts and some of these other platforms and what I have started to describe as weaponized nonsense. Five Minute Crafts is not serious. They're, they're not serious about any of the hacks they put up. Most of these little clips that put up, it started with a, an account called Blossom years ago, and they would put up all these silly things. And they're just there to be purposefully ridiculous, right? It's there for people like me to watch and start pulling my hair out about a little bit. And if a few people believe it along the way, that is an unintended consequence in my opinion, but they're farming clicks, right? They're, they're trying to get you to interact more and it's purposefully nonsensical. It is weaponized nonsense because what it does is it gets people to yell about it. It gets people to maybe believe it and try it and then come back. And when it doesn't work, maybe they're mad about it then or whatever. And I, I understand to a certain extent I'm falling into this trap, but I think we also need to talk about this because it's very prevalent out there. Um, so two sides to this, 
We need to be able to critically evaluate information when we see someone um, sticking a rose cutting in a banana to try to grow new roses or uh, mashing up fruits together to make some weird hybrid fruit or something like that. Those things aren't real. They're not real. And it's, it is nonsense and it is purposeful nonsense because uh, the product is not the point. The outcome is not the point. The point is that you watch it and you go, what did I just watch? And maybe you watch it again, or maybe you share it, or maybe you talk about it. And all of these things happen for the purpose of getting more clicks and more attention. It's the same thing as a rage farm. It's just approached differently, right? They're not trying to make you mad necessarily. They're not trying to get that emotional response out of you. They're just trying to do something weird that people are going to share. And there's other, again, niche, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know how to say it on this show specifically, uh, content that is for specific groups of people that uh, enjoy it in a certainly or certain specific sort of way uh, that some of these appeal to as well. Um, there's a lot of feet, and it's real weird for everyone. Um, but it, it it makes me think about, as a science educator, And a science communicator and someone who spends so much of his time recording podcasts and videos and uh, making tweets and all of this stuff to teach people more about science, it makes me think about how important this job really is. Because someone has to be able to counteract this, even if it's not the point that people believe the misinformation being put out there, which I don't think it is. I think it's just to get clicks. I don't think they care about the type of material they're putting out there. I think it's just just silly. It's, it's again, silly for the purpose of being silly. People believe it. And like I said, I'm, I'm in the comments and I read the comments and most people don't, but there are people that think, oh, if I do this, I'm going to be successful in my garden or in my landscape, or this specific thing is going to be a cure for uh, whatever's wrong with me. If I put enough lemon in my water, I'm going to cure my whatever. And, and those things aren't true. Those things aren't true. They sound good. They're appealing. They're, they're funny in some cases, but they're not true. And while 99% of the time that causes no harm, people just end up thinking, well, that was awfully weird and move on with their lives. There are instances where maybe it turns someone off to gardening, right? And growing their own food and uh, being aware of how food is produced. Like education is tough enough as it is. Um, I, I have a colleague that used to say, or I had a colleague that said, Uh, education is a long and repetitive process and we have to tell people things over and over before they believe it unless it's really catchy on a video on TikTok. And then people believe it pretty quick. And then we have to figure out how to get people to unlearn these bad behaviors in terms of how to grow food, how to grow plants. We just don't want people being turned off because they try something ridiculous and all they get is a sneaky rotten potato or banana or whatever else. And then they're mad and they're like, oh, this gardening stuff isn't for me. I can't do it. It didn't work. This hack was so easy. But yeah, it was easy and it was also nonsense, right? I think that's a big part of it. And and I think that we need to make sure that we are giving good information, that we're fighting misinformation where we can, where we are giving people um, the right ways to do things because there are easy garden solutions. There are easy ways to start a garden and grow your own food and your plants and um, wherever you are, whether you're in an apartment or a house or, or anything in between. And 
that's a big part of the show. That's why I do what I do. And that's why next the next episode that's coming out in just a few days is about spring garden tips. I'm going to talk about if you are in an apartment trying to grow things in pots on your balcony or if you have five acres of land in your backyard that you're trying to turn into vegetables. I, I want to talk about how to think about getting that going this spring um, just so you can be successful in whatever goals that you've set for yourself, because that makes people happy. It's a good thing. We should be happy about our gardens. We should be happy about our plants. We should learn more about nature and doing it the right way or doing it in ways that actually make sense and that aren't weaponized nonsense is pretty important. So this was kind of a weird episode. I know it's just stuff that's been on my mind lately, and I just wanted to share it with you because I think it's important that we have these conversations. Uh, lots of great content coming up soon, like I mentioned. Later this week is Spring Garden Tips. Um, the week after is uh, the history of plant domestication. And then after that is an interview with my friend Elizabeth Kelly from Penn State, who also runs a greenhouse, who also does TikTok, who also likes to uh, find all the weird things that are broken in her greenhouse and make videos about them. Uh, she was one of my first like TikTok friends, and I cannot wait for you to hear uh, this episode with her. So uh, until then, thanks so much for being with me. Thanks for being a part of Planthropology. Thanks again to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for the support. Thank you for all the support. Uh, follow on social media, connect however you can. Um, keep being kind to one another, another. If you haven't been kind to one another so far, maybe give that a shot and keep being really cool plant people. And I will talk to you very soon. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.